Welcome to this Wednesday edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. And because it's Wednesday, that means it's Walnut Wednesday here on the show. Taylor Charleston will have a report about winter chill in walnuts and the reality that warmer winters are here to stay. I'll have a look at regional and national agricultural news as well, beginning with regional ag news right after this. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. One of the oldest buildings in downtown Fresno that has sat vacant for decades is poised to become a central hub for agriculture and innovation. But that is only part of what is to come for the Central Valley. It's time for the region that feeds the nation to become the nation's priority, according to Ashley Swearigan with the Central Valley Community Foundation. Surrounded by White House and state representatives, local leaders celebrated $88 million in federal funding secured to enhance economic development and agriculture. The Fresno Merced Future of Food Innovation F3 Coalition was awarded $65.1 million and the Fresno County Economic Development Corporation was awarded $23 million. That money will support roughly 1,000 small farmers training 8,400 food and ag workers and help to increase wages. In addition, the iCreate Ag Tech Hub is poised to be located in the Old Bank of Italy, which will house research and resources as well as partnerships with UC Merced, Fresno State, and the region's eight community colleges. Students and workers will have access to training and new technology. They need to make sure they're not just upscaling workers, but that they're giving opportunities to younger folks to come into the jobs of the future, according to U.S. Assistant Secretary of Commerce Alejandra Castillo. And Manulife Investment Management has announced two agricultural acquisitions in Fresno County on behalf of investors. The properties include a 500-acre almond, pistachio, and citrus orchard and an approximately 900-acre pistachio orchard. The orchards are favorably located in California's Central Valley, a key U.S. agricultural and tree nut production region with high-quality water rights. In addition, the properties are located in close proximity to existing farmland properties managed by Manulife Investment Management's integrated farmland management operations. The acquired properties add to an existing 22,500 acres of directly operated pistachio and citrus orchards located throughout California, providing an opportunity to benefit from economies of scale in the region. They are proud to add these high-quality orchards to their permanent crop portfolio managed by their experienced direct operation team of agricultural professionals for the benefit of their investors, according to Oliver Williams, Global Head of Agriculture Investments with Manulife Investment Management. He says they believe that orchards as a nature-based solution can provide both economic returns to their investor clients along with social and environmental benefits. Producing healthy, nutritious food while responsibly managing these natural resources can contribute positively positively to vibrant rural communities such as the ones surrounding these investments. Manulife Investment Management manages approximately 400,000 acres of prime farmland in major agricultural regions of the United States and in Canada, Chile, and Australia as part of their comprehensive private market strategies. 
The California Department of Food and Agriculture California Farm to School Program staff joined California First partner Jennifer Siebel Newsom and local officials to tour Hoover High School in San Diego Unified School District earlier last week to see Farm to School in action during the Farm to School month. The group toured the school's garden and culinary academy where students cook freshly harvested produce. Access to community gardens and cooking classes are so important for developing lifelong healthy eaters, according to Siebel Newsom and the the skills developed in the school's culinary academy will help to build future culinary and hospitality careers. As part of the tour, CDFA staff facilitated a roundtable conversation with leaders from Sweetwater Union High School District, Community Health Improvement Partners, and SGG Organic Farms. San Diego Unified School District also is a grantee of CDFA's 2021 California Farm to School Incubator Grant Program, utilizing funds to expand local procurement for school meals, higher a full-time farm-to-school program specialist, and more. The California Milk Advisory Board has announced eight finalists in the Real California Milk Accelerator, a partnership with innovation consultancy VentureFuel. The program is focused on identifying, curating, and accelerating dairy-based products, including traditional consumer food and beverage items, textiles, and beyond. The competition will award up to $500,000 in prizes for startups that introduce novel benefits and drive use of California milk and dairy in formulations. In its fourth year, the 2022 Real California Milk Accelerator advances innovation in its truest state, open. As one of the biggest dairy competitions in the world, the program seeks early stage applicants with high growth potential that creates a 50% cow's milk based product or working prototype. They launch the accelerator to foster a culture of innovation in support of California dairy, and this year's contestants certainly have delivered on high expectations. The open innovation finalists focus on themes important to the next generation of consumers, sustainable sourcing, and use of up recycled materials, clean labels, and benefits from convenience to function and global flavors and ingredients, according to John Talbot, CEO of the CMAB. He says it's exciting to take the next step with each of these candidates in preparation for the final pitch event. The eight members of the 2022 Real California Milk Accelerator cohort are Dosa out of Chico, California for Indian yogurt Lassie drinks. The board at home, also of Chico, California, they're an e-commerce company offering an experience of artisanal crafted cheese and products shipped directly to consumers' homes. Goon with the spoon out of Danville for a specialty super premium ice cream from hip-hop artist, entrepreneur, and chef Earl E4 Stevens. Me at Taro out of City of Industry, California, a first of its kind venture backed synthetic biology and advanced material company that engineers biomass waste into compostable biomaterials to end microplastic. Neutral Foods out of Gusting, California for organic half and half product for an organic half and half product that has a carbon neutral footprint. Periva out of Boston, Massachusetts for a spreadable marinated yogurt bite. Trace Lecheria out of La Habra, California for a traditional flavored milk-based dessert and Wayward Spirit out of Sonoma, California for a clear specialty spirit upcycled and distilled from whey. Each member of the cohort will have access to a group stipend and robust network of resources to refine and scale their product and business. They will also participate in the CMAB Venture Fuel Mentorship Program consisting of elite counsel from successful founders, investors, leading corporate executives, and experts across design, marketing, sales, manufacturing, distribution, farming, and processing industries. Finalists will participate in a pitch event on 
Wednesday, November 2nd, where all eight companies will present before a live audience and a panel of industry expert judges. And for the first time, up to four of the eight startups will receive $50,000 to grow and expand their product in California. And one of the participating companies will win an additional $100,000 grand prize by establishing their presence in California and exhibiting the most promising growth. The competition awards have a total worth half a million dollars. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bees' pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure, be precise, be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero, superior bees, superior pollination. California winters are getting increasingly warmer each year as a result of the effects of climate change, and this can pose an issue for chill requirements of some tree crops, including walnuts. UCCE Orchard Advisor Catherine Jarvis Sheen explained during the 2021 Walnut Conference that growers need to start getting comfortable with the chill portions model, become aware that, quote, low chill winters are becoming more regular, and that Chandler and other higher chill varieties will need help getting through warmer winters in the coming decades. She also explained the importance of winter dormancy and the effects it can have on trees come spring, such as early flowering and increased variability in nut size. And the problem is then, so okay, if you have these nuts starting the race at different times in the spring, they also finish the race in terms of maturity in the fall at different times as well. So you have a wider maturity window. Um, the other thing is that we know the way that carbohydrates work in these growing fruit, that the first piggy to get to the trough then is really good at elbowing out the other piggies that come to the trough later. So you end up having these uh, larger fruit, which are the ones that started earlier, and smaller fruit, a lot of peewee nuts towards the end of the season. So we have, um, when we don't get enough chill, we have um, some buds that don't break. Um, so fewer buds, fewer flowers, also a wider window of when that timing happens and a larger size variability. She went on to explain physiologically how this all works in the tree. The tree is staying dormant during the winter and this is influenced by hormones. The hormones can say stop being dormant or, um, or stay dormant depending on the hormone. Um, this is influenced by the transport capacity within the tree. So essentially whether the cells are connected to each other and communicating with each other. This is influenced by oxidative stress within the tree, which is often a, a signal um, to stop that dormancy, to wake up in the form of, um, of reactive oxygen species. Um, and then we have metabolism of energy, of carbohydrates, which you may have heard Drs. Winyaki or the Carbohydrate Observatory at UC Davis talking about in recent years, understanding how sugars and starches interact during the winter and leading into the spring. We know that hormones um, interact with metabolism, influence metabolism. 
We know that hormones influence this oxidative stress, which then feeds into stopping dormancy maintenance. And we know that metabolism influences oxidative stress. So um, we know that these different factors are all influenced by winter chill. So cold during the winter influences the, the hormone balance, the transport capacity, metabolism, especially this balance of starches and sugars, and oxidative stress. Research out of the UC Davis Z Lab in collaboration with Cooperative Extension and funded by the California Walnut Board found that winter heat delays bud break and decreases yield. Bud break in the spring is preceded by a big upswing in starch in the tree. If conditions are warm in the winter, trees adjust their starch-making system to keep starch low and sugars stable midwinter. But then it takes more heat than normal years to achieve high starch pre-bud break. That balance of sugar and starch is dictated by enzyme dynamics. And the tree, when we have warm conditions in the middle of the winter, will essentially downregulate the changing of starch into sugar so that it can maintain that steady sugar level. The problem then comes when, if we have a warm winter so that starch to sugar has been downregulated, when we then get into spring, we need a lot more heat to turn enough of that sugar back into starch to get that big bump up in starch, which we know we need for bud break in the spring. So essentially, if we get these warm winters, warmth during the day, heat during the day, that messes up this metabolism works so that we need a lot more heat in the spring to wake things up. And we see this in crops throughout California, in research throughout forest systems. This is a, a very, um, I would say like a, pretty much the rule of how things work. Warmer winters means you need more heat in the spring for things to wake up. All of this research, Jarvisheen said, plays into the mindset of starting to be comfortable with counting chill portions and chill hours. We count any hour that's between freezing and 45 degrees as one chill hour. And that's, you know, it's a model that served us really well, especially before we had computers and, um, and things that could do complicated calculating for us. And it's a nice, it's an intuitive model. Um, but we found over decades and decades of work that there's a lot more subtlety to the way that trees are counting temperatures. So for one, you know, you often hear people talk about, yeah, we had a lot of chill hours, but they were warm chill hours. Um, so I don't know how much that really counts for the tree. Well, this model, the chill portions model, actually puts a value to different temperatures. So if the temperatures are in the range of 43 to 47, they get a maximum chill value. And then if they are on either end of that, um, they can go less chill value, but still some chill value down to 54 and less chill value, but still some chill value down to freezing. So that also you'll notice expands the range of temperatures that we count as giving some chill value. So whereas before we were talking about 45 as the max temperature, now we're talking about 54. And this is great for California where we have cool conditions that aren't always cold, cold. So in these mild winters, uh, mild climates, Mediterranean climates, we find this is a better model for that too. And the other big difference 
is that the chill portions model can subtract some accumulation um, if warm temperatures follow cold temperatures. So if you have some cold during the night, but then it gets really hot during the day, um, that hot can subtract from that cold. And the chill hours model doesn't have a way of doing that. This matters, Jarvisheen said, because the chill hours model versus the chill portions model might tell you something different. She made an example of this by noting that in the 2013 to 2014 season, chill hours said that the winter temperatures were average, while the chill portions model noted that it was unusually warm. And if you ask the trees that spring, the spring of 2014, did they think it was an average winter or did they think it was a low chill winter? They told us, oh, that seemed like a low chill winter. So throughout, I mean, we have pistachio picture here on the left. We have a young walnut tree here on the right that had none of these buds breaking on the south side of the tree um, for that whole season. And we saw this in apples, cherries, prunes, uh, pears, everything up and down the state, aside from almonds. Um, so really, that was a low chill winter that if you're counting in terms of chill hours, really caught you by surprise. Research into winter warming regionally in California has pointed to the fact that the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valleys will have warmer winters in the coming decades. Looking at the change from the late 80s, early 90s, you know, when I was in pigtails to um, the sort of 2060 time range. And they find that we're, we should expect a roughly similar increase in temperatures from, um, from that range, the late 80s to 2060 of about three degrees Fahrenheit. So sorry, it's in Celsius here on the map, but 1.7 to 1.8 is just over three degrees in the Sacramento Valley and in the San Joaquin Valley. But another thing that I think is important to recognize here when we're talking about how things are gonna be getting warmer is that there's still gonna be a lot of variability in our winters. We're still going to be experiencing some cold winters. We're still going to be experiencing some winters that are what we now consider average, but we should also expect to experience more of what we now think of as low chill winters. And we should be expecting to experience even lower chill winters than before. According to other research, the state is expecting about a 15 to 20 percent decrease in chill portions by mid-century or one crop life, and about 33 percent decrease in chill portions by the end of the century, about two crop lives from now. So what is this going to mean for the walnuts we love to grow? If we think about Chandler as having roughly a 55 to 60 chill portions requirement, and that's to have like a nice robust leaf out, um, avoiding um, those, some of those like peewee nut problems, it's probably closer to 60, 65. Um, and and a, like a bigger crop failure is more in the 50 to 55 range. We're gonna be walking quite a line um, as we get into this mid-century zone. And I think this reflects what we've already seen. We've already sort of had a few shots across the bow um, in the last decade. So 2013, 2014 was pretty warm, 2014, 2015 pretty warm, and last winter was, was kind of wonky too. And um, 
this is not, we're not used to getting that many warm winters, that many problematic springs in terms of dormancy breaking. Um, and certainly as we get um, down in the San Joaquin, Southern San Joaquin, things are gonna get a lot warmer. So again, mid-century might seem like an abstract concept, but you're planting an orchard now, you're planning on that orchard being around in the middle of the century. Um, coming, yeah, so like the tail, the last half of the life of that orchard will fall under these conditions. While this poses a big issue for the industry, there are things that growers can do to mitigate the effects of these low winter chill portions, including the use of dormancy breaking chemicals. So these dormancy breaking chemicals can sometimes stimulate or even simulate the analogs for hormones. And also they often trigger this oxidative stress reaction, which then stops dormancy maintenance. So with funding from the Walnut Board and many of you listening by extension, so thank you for that. Um, we're looking into testing these treatments because they've been tested in walnuts in other countries um, and they've been tested in other systems in California, but never in walnuts in California extensively. Um, so we're heating up some trees um, with these very cool structures and essentially simulating these warmer winters that we expect. So we're gonna see if these dormancy breaking chemicals can compensate for these uh, warmer winters. And then we're also gonna be applying these chemicals to trees that are just experiencing the normal ambient winter to see what happens to the trees if it's not a low chill year. Are there other benefits from it? Um, so we're gonna be testing hydrogen cyanamide, which um, many of you might know under the name Dormex, the trade name Dormex. A nitrogen cocktail and a hormone analog to see how um, how these impact the tree phenology in the spring, the following set, all yield metrics, quality metrics, all of this good stuff that will impact the bottom line. Um, and doing this over a couple of winters and following springs. So that brings me back to our three takeaways that we need to start getting comfortable with this chill portions model and scooching away from relying only on the chill hours model. Otherwise we're gonna be surprised by the way a lot of these warm winters end up playing out. Um, we're gonna be experiencing more what we now consider low chill winters in the future. And Chandler and higher chill varieties are gonna need some help getting through those warm winters. Um, so that is what we as researchers and the board are investing in right now is finding not just chemicals that can do something about it, but also trying to develop a real recipe for you guys um, so that you can get consistent results. And a lot of that comes back to this whole network of not just throwing it on the tree and seeing what happens, but looking inside of the buds, inside of the trees with the carbohydrate observatory to understand how the tree is responding to these things so we can do a little more fine tuning of the dial of when we apply things, the rate at which we apply them, all that stuff. Sponsored by the California Walnut Board and Commission, supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand, doing more together. 
Funding will be one of the biggest challenges in writing the next Farm Bill as a new Congress grapples with many other priorities. The American Farm Bureau Federation laid out its goals for the 2023 Farm Bill. There is no question the need is there. Farm profits are squeezed, and AFBF's Andrew Walmsley says support triggers are not high enough. I think there's a recognition that you know our farmers are facing pretty high inflationary and high input prices, and, and there's a need to address reference prices. We're hopeful that the committees will have the resources they need to address the needs that our members are identifying. Walmsley says Congress could rearrange existing dollars given new conservation dollars from the Inflation Reduction Act, though moves from that title to commodities are hard to see. I think in theory, you know, Congress could move those dollars around. I, I definitely think it will be a focus of discussion on what we can maybe do to improve our conservation programs. Politically, however, I don't really see a pathway forward where you move those dollars out of the conservation title. Or into conservation and climate spending. AFBF President Zippy Duvall. It's also important to make sure that we focus on uh, food assistance to people and uh, risk management tools to assure that our farmers get through any challenge that faces them to the next crop so that our nation can be secure. Duvall calls the Farm Bill a critical piece of legislation, but one that can only be strengthened if the new Congress provides the needed resources. Lando Lakes has celebrated National Farmers Day by raising consumer awareness of the critical role that farmers play in society by launching the State of the American Farmer Survey. The survey revealed some of the misconceptions that Americans have about the state of farming. On average, Americans believe less than half of all farmers are family-owned and operated, and that just 43% of what they buy comes from family farms. Despite some misconceptions, most Americans are interested in the source of their food. Nearly all the survey respondents say it's at least somewhat important that their groceries be sourced sustainably. To show support for farmers, Lando Lakes launched Farmers Are Incredible, a multi-platform creative campaign rooted in celebrating National Farmers Day. The goal is to emphasize the year-round importance of farmers and the agriculture industry. The campaign features the co-op's farmer members and their work. The Energy Information Administration says U.S. ethanol production jumped to its highest level in almost a month during the week ending October 7th. Ethanol output rose to an average of 932,000 barrels a day, the largest production level since the week began ending on September 9th and up from the 889,000 produced during the prior week. The Midwest is the biggest ethanol producing area in the country and the output surged to an average of 881,000 barrels a day, the highest level in a month and up from 840,000 a week earlier. East Coast production jumped to 10,000 barrels a day, up from 3,000 barrels a day the week before. USDA's latest season-ending average price forecast for cotton was lowered in what the chair of the World Agricultural Outlook Board called a sharp reduction. USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. Adjustments made in USDA's October domestic balance sheet for cotton as a result of lower yields for this year's crop. It does reduce production slightly on the demand side, particularly when it comes to exports. We did reduce our export forecast by 100,000 bales this month. An over 2 million bale year-over-year reduction in forecasted exports, according to World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski. Despite lower export and increased ending stock projections from the previous month, the season-ending average price for cotton decreased 6 to 90 cents per pound. That's a pretty sharp reduction. Price volatility has been very high over the past month to six weeks or so. And just over the past month, the December cotton futures contract declined by about 25 cents. There's market concerns about demand relative to the size of supplies, and that's what's been hanging over the market. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the 
U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water-holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com to learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with Phycoterra. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Net Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.